Hi, this is John with Prodigal Church. We're so glad that you've downloaded this week's message. Our online ministry has enabled people from all over the world to access our weekly teachings. We're so grateful for you, whoever you are and wherever you are. For all things Prodigal, download the Prodigal app at your app store. And if you consider Prodigal Church your home, would you consider donating monthly at our website, prodigalchurchfresno.com. Thanks again for listening online. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. Those who will not live by the Lord shall die by the Lord. The story goes that in the late 1990s, John Ortberg calls up Dallas Willard, the great teacher of spiritual disciplines, and asks for advice. John had been working at one of the largest, most influential megachurches on planet Earth. Uh, and so at face value, he looks like someone who had this Jesus apprenticeship thing down to a T. But inside, he felt like his soul was gone. He had been sucked into this mega church vortex and he couldn't get out. So he calls up Dallas Willard and says, how do I become the me I want to be? There's a long silence on the other end of the line. And Dallas Willard says, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John says, that's good. He scribbles it down and then he says, okay, what else? And after another long silence, Willard says, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life of today. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. End of story. Uh, this story is the opening story in John Mark Comer's book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And there is so much truth just even in the title of that book. Uh, when someone asks you, how are you? What do you say? You probably say good, and then some version of, you know, just busy, just busy. Uh, busy, 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 you know, just, just being busy. That we always do this. The last several weeks I've been intentional about asking people how are they, and then I make notes of whenever they use the word busy, and it's almost nine out of 10. Why, why is that? Now I am old enough to remember this thing from the 1990s that we called boredom, okay? Anybody else remember this? Okay, you young people out there, if you're under 30, you have no clue what I'm talking about. If you were born after 1995, then you really can't remember a time when you didn't have this inside your pocket. Uh, but I can, okay? There was a time when you'd be waiting in line for your coffee at the coffee shop. There were five people ahead of you and you just have to stand there, okay? The extroverts in line would all try and talk to somebody, strike up a conversation, and the introverts would smile and nod, secretly thinking, dear God, why is this person trying to talk to me? Does anybody else remember this? Waiting at the bus stop, stuck in traffic, uh, sitting in the movie theater before the movie, uh, you're in the back of a less than enthralling college class, and you had nothing to do, nothing to look at, just your thoughts. Now, I, it's easy to sentimentalize th that time, okay? But I don't wanna go back to that. I, I love my cell phone, 
okay? I am more efficient than ever, but in the midst of that, I've also lost something crucial, and so have you. All those little tiny moments of boredom could have been potential portals, portals to prayer, little moments throughout the day where we wake up to the reality of God all around us and people all around us, to wake up our souls, to draw our mind's attention back to God, to come off the hurry drug and back home to awareness, presence. Now all those little moments are gone. They're swallowed up by the digital carnivore called the cell phone. Now the second we feel even a hint of boredom, we reach for these appendages that we call our smartphones and we check our newsfeed and we continue to scroll. A recent study found that the average iPhone user touches his or her phone 2,600 times per day. That's just for all smart users. Another study on millennials put the number at twice that. In every study, most people surveyed said that they had no clue about the amount of time they were staring at their phones. Now, time to cue a terrifying trend. Our attention span is dropping with each passing year. In the year 2000, before the digital revolution, it was 12 seconds, okay? Nothing to write home about, not something we should necessarily be proud of, but uh, since then, it's dropped to eight seconds. And to put things in perspective, a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds, okay? We are losing to goldfish. The hurry in our heads, the hurry in our phones, the hurry of our lives. I think we can all agree that there's a cost, that there are detrimental effects on the lives of us and the people around us. Now, is there a practice from the life and teachings of Jesus to mitigate against this chronic restlessness, this hurriedness that we experience in our souls, in our day-to-day -day lives, in our lives with God, in our lives with others? And the answer is yes. It's called Sabbath. This is the third week in our series through the book of Leviticus, and this is going to be the most practical week as we give uh, attention to this life-giving principle called Sabbath. The word Sabbath comes to us from the Hebrew word Shabbat. It means to cease, desist, stop, to interrupt, to bring to an end. The, the word literally means to stop. The Sabbath is simply a day to stop, a day to stop working, a day to stop wanting, a day to stop worrying. Just, just stop. One of, one of the most powerful things you can do to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives is stop. What do you know? Now, I'm convinced that everybody needs this, but I want you to be convinced that you need this as well. And so check out this list and see which sets of these words describe your life, okay? Category one and category two, restfulness or restlessness. Margin or busyness. Slowness or hurry. Quiet or noise. Deep relationships or isolation. Time alone or crowds, delight, distraction, enjoyment or envy, clarity or confusion, contentment or discontentment, gratitude or greed, trust 
or worry, love or anger, joy or sadness, peace or anxiety, working from love or working for love, work as contribution or work as accomplishment. The chances are you found yourself resonating or living in the second category very often, but the ideal would be the first. Zero guilt, right? Human nature in the digital age form an alliance against the spirit of Sabbath. We all struggle in this area, and the Sermon on Leviticus today might be the most life-changing of this series for you because if you apply these teachings from Scripture, you will have more joy, you will have more happiness, you will have more rest, more freedom, more fun, more life. Leviticus 23, verse 3, there are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. The, the word Shabbat here, Sabbath, to rest, it doesn't mean to rest because of exhaustion, okay? We're not talking about a day off. A day off is great, but that's not Sabbath. Sabbath was a time of physical refreshment for sure, but the instructions to make the day holy as unto God or sacred assembly, it's a greater purpose than simply regathering strength for the week ahead, okay? The day was for spiritual service, not occupational pursuits. It was about priorities. There were no sacrifices offered, no purification rites performed. It was a day of delight. Now within Christianity, many think that the Sabbath is Sunday, that it used to be Saturday back in the day, in the Old Testament times, but in Jesus, it's now Sunday. Actually, that's not the case. Sabbath was and is Friday evening sundown to Saturday evening sundown. Uh, Sunday is the Lord's Day, and the early Christians began meeting on Sunday, the first day of the week, rather than Saturday, the last day of the week. But it's not about which day it is. Your Sabbath certainly could be a Wednesday. Um, but in the time of Jesus, Sabbath had become something it was never meant to be. And so the New Testament has some harsh words against Sabbath. It became life-draining and not life-giving. There, there was books that had 25 chapters long of all the rules that you had to keep on Sabbath. Things that you could do, things that you couldn't do. And you constantly had the religious people pointing their finger and pointing out the, the small missteps that you would do on the Sabbath. If you spit on the ground, it would actually turn the soil once it landed on the dirt, and they consider that work because you are uprooting dirt, soil, you're working, okay? It became ridiculous, it became religious. And so Jesus has these strong words for the religious rule keepers of his day. But in his critique, he said a famous line about the Sabbath, which we often breeze by. He says, the Sabbath was not, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. It was a gift. Sabbath is a gift. Rest is a gift. Enjoyment, recreation, a, a relationship with God developed. These are gifts. In the 1960s, future forecasters from all over the world, sci-fi writers or to political theorists, thought about how Americans would work in the future. 
One famous Senate, Senate subcommittee in 1967 was told that by 1985, the average American would work only 22 hours a week, 27 weeks a year. Then all the forecasts showed we would be working less, not more. Everybody thought that the main problem in the future was going to be too much leisure time. The exact opposite has happened. Leisure time has gone down. The average American works nearly four more weeks per year now than they did in 1979. Something is off, right? Sabbath is a part of the rhythm of life that God has intended. It's written into our code, right? In the creation story, God himself worked for six days and rested on the seventh. There is a rhythm baked into the creative order of things and our lives are often not in sync with this and we feel it in our souls and we feel it in our relationships. For thousands and thousands of years, time and rhythm were natural, okay? But things changed. Cha things changed with humanity and our relationship to time. Most historians point to the year 1370 as the main turning point in the West's relationship with time. What happened then? Well, the first public clock tower was erected in Cologne, Germany. Before that, time was natural. It was linked to the rotation of the earth, the axis up in the four seasons. You went to bed with the moon and you got up with the sun. Days were long and busy in the summer and short and slow in the winter. There was a rhythm to the day and even to the year. Life was dominated by the agricultural rhythms of our universe, free of haste, unconcerned with productivity. But the clock changed all of that. It created artificial time, the, the, the nine to five that we have all year long. We stopped listening to our bodies and started rising when alarms droned their oppressive siren, which yours happened to go off maybe just a couple of hours ago. It wasn't when our bodies were done resting. It was when we were awoken by a loud noise. We became more efficient, yes, but also more machine, less human. I get glimpses of the matrix. Listen to one historian's summary of this key moment. Here was man's declaration of independence from the sun, new proof of his mastery over himself and his surroundings. Only later would it be revealed that he had accomplished this mastery by putting himself under the dominion of a machine with imperious demands all its own. Then in 1879, you had Edison and the light bulb. I wonder about Edison and how this light bulb went off with the first light bulb, okay? Like, like in his head, like, was it a light bulb? Like, was it someone lighting a candle? I don't know, these are things that I think about when I'm by myself. But the light bulb made it possible and common to stay up well past sundown. And now brace yourself for the next step. Before Thomas Edison, the average person slept 11 hours a night, okay? 11. I remember reading biographies of ancient men and women who were so spiritual. They had these amazing prayer lives. They would wake up at 4 a.m. and spend hours in prayer before the sun even rose. 
And I would think, man, they love Jesus so much more than I do. And that is probably true. But then I realized that they went to bed like at seven o'clock, okay? What else are you gonna do after sleeping for nine hours? You get up and pray. In America, we are down to about seven hours of sleep per night. Some of you guys are more, some of you guys are less. And as a culture, we realize that sleep isn't productive enough, so we do the bare minimum. Is it any wonder why we are exhausted all the time? We used to walk everywhere, now we have cars to get us so we can get to place to place in a hurry. We used to make all of our food from scratch, now we have takeout. We used to write letters by hand, now we have email and text. Yet in spite of our smartphones and our programmable coffee pots and dishwashers and laundry machines and toasters, most of us feel like we have less time, not more. What gives? Something has gone awry. Labor-saving devices really do save time. So then where did all the time go? We spend it on other things. In Africa, they have a saying. They say, in Africa, we have time, but no watch. In America, you have watch, but no time. And after all of my time that I've spent in Africa, I am convinced of this, that they've got it more right than we do. Do you sense in your own life something is out of whack, something is off kilter, something is out of sync, may I suggest Sabbath. Now, most of us have heard of Sabbath day, but Levitical law describes much more than Sabbath day. Check out Leviticus 25. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years, sow your fields, and for six years, prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. So the Sabbath was every seven days. The Sabbath year was every seven years. The whole country becomes this one vast, common, open to all people and all animals kind of place. And this was a particular blessing to the poor and the stranger among them. Uh, those who own land not only ceased in cultivating it, but ceased having exclusive rights to its produce. Slaves had the option of release and freedom on the Sabbath year. Debts were canceled in the seventh year. The Sabbath year seems to personify the land, right? The land gets tired and the land needs rest. For an entire year, they and the land had a Sabbath. This institution also demonstrates God's will concerning relationships among his people. They needed to be reminded periodically that all benefited from grace, that no one dared to consider the land to be personal property that was theirs, belonged to them forever. No, everything was held with a more open hand. For at least one year out of every seven, the people were to reenact the Garden of Eden, the experience of their ancestors, perfectly at rest, walking among the garden with God and eating to their heart's content. 
So in Leviticus, we have the Sabbath day, we have the Sabbath year, but we also have the year of Jubilee. Look at verse eight. Count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpets sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. The Hebrew word here for trumpet is the word shofar. Whenever it says trumpet in the Old Testament or even the New, it's never referring to a brass instrument. It's referring to a shofar, a, a ram's horn. Okay, this is a shofar. And after 49 weeks, seven weeks of years, on the Day of Atonement, we talked about that last week, they would blast the shofar throughout the land. Okay, I was, I was faking that, okay, many of you know. Uh, I've actually have been practicing the shofar and shofar so good. Okay, this, this, is, this is my real deal. Amen, amen. Okay, every 50 years on the Day of Atonement, they would blast the shofar and proclaim the year of Jubilee. Verse 10, consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines. For it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of Jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. The year of Jubilee was much like the Sabbath year, but turned up a bit, okay? It was a complete overhaul of the economic and social life in ancient Israel, and it was to restore people and properties to their rightful conditions. It was a time of new beginnings, when all who had failed to maintain their place in society were given a chance to start over. When all who had benefited from such failures were, had to release the gains that they had. All debts were canceled, all slaves set free. And on the day of atonement, they are to blow the trumpet and proclaim liberty and freedom, the year of Jubilee to all the people of God. It encouraged God's people to be just in their business dealings, knowing that their holdings are temporary. God's people must rely on him and not their own efforts. We're stewards, not owners. So there was the Sabbath every seven days. There was the Sabbath year every seven years. And then there was the year of Jubilee every seven weeks of years, 49. These Sabbaths are to teach us that we are not to be wholly devoted into acquiring more. That's not the point of life. Some of us need to hear that. It is not the point of life to gain money and things. It's not. But setting aside time for our God and for reprioritizing, well, that's, that's the rhythm of God's creation. That's necessary for our souls. I have a Sabbath day. It's Mondays. It's a day of rest, a day of connection with God, a day of connection with family and friends. And I like to go on long runs on my Sabbath, okay? This past Monday, 
uh, I was running, listening to uh, some stuff on Leviticus and on Sabbath. And so on my Sabbath, I'm listening to Sabbath, and then about halfway through the run, I switch it to music. And I run kind of where nobody else is kind of over there, but every once in a while I'll see a person pass by, and I pass by this young guy with a dog, and we kind of do the, the, the cool guy head nod, and uh, I run right past him, and I'm listening to music, and there was just something about like this moment. I looked around at God's creation. Um, I, I myself was just experiencing joy. And so then a song came on, Red Red Wine by UB40. And I was feeling it, okay? I was like a reggae machine. I start moving and grooving and I am just feeling it, spinning around, dancing. I was jamming and, uh, and, and I'm just, if, if it's possible to worship to red, red wine, then I was doing that, okay? I don't even like red wine, but I, there I am just worshiping to this song from the 80s until I remembered the young guy and the dog who was about now 20 feet back towards me and I've never ran so fast and so far in my entire life. I sprinted to make sure this young guy couldn't catch me I was so embarrassed. I was having a spiritual experience. I don't know what this looks like for you, okay? I don't know if you dance in the joy of the Lord on your Sabbath, but Sabbath is for joy. Sabbath is for recreation. Sabbath is for rest. Sabbath is for relationship. Sabbath is for God. It restores your soul. And so, uh, we want this series to be really practical. And many of you uh, know that your schedule's been crazy, that the digital carnivore called your phone uh, takes up any days of rest that you might have. And you feel like maybe I need this. I know it may take some time to carve this out. And so we wanna make it really practical. And so if you wanna, go, if you wanna take this next step of, of creating a Sabbath um, and you want some accountability in this, if you go to the Prodigal Church app and you click on the Sabbath tab and fill out that with your name and your email, we're gonna be sending you periodic uh, reminders over the next 30 days to carve out a Sabbath, some time for you and for God and for others. It restores your soul. Uh, you'll be connected back to the people of God from thousands of years ago and be connected to God himself. And the ground that you walk on, the ground that you um, run on, yeah, it's holy ground. And so over the next 30 days, if you click that, we'll send you reminders. It's not gonna be every day, but it's just for those who want that extra step of accountability to make sure that you actually apply this, that you apply the Sabbath to your life. And again, it will make you more peaceful, more, more joyous, more happy, more loving, more grace-filled. You'll have more life. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you help us, that the Sabbath would be a time for us to restore our souls that we get poured into so that we can pour you out. We thank you for the Sabbath and that you are Lord of the Sabbath, that you have given us this gift. May we receive this gift with open arms. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at prodigalchurchfresno.com. Next week is the finale of our You Lost Me at Leviticus sermon series. And then the next week is Father's Day and it's going to get spicy. We hope you have an amazing week. Peace in Uvalde and Ukraine.